Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 139. You are here with a brand new Emily Merrill, a post-hallowed wide Emily Merrill, and I'm feeling like pretty mostly great about it. I'll be uh, releasing my final like kind of hallowed wide diary recap um, sometime in November. I'm not exactly sure when. I'm giving myself a little bit of flexibility because the last couple of months have been truly insane. Um, but I want you to know that I'm thinking about so many new projects. I feel like I'm kind of ready to enter like a new like a new mode as an artist um, might be a little chaotic. We're not sure exactly what's going to be like, but I'm thinking about a lot of things and I'm really excited to start to share those kind of new things with you once I kind of process a little more and figure out what it is that I'm thinking about and that I'm doing. But, um, but yeah, I'm feeling a lot of things kind of bubbling around and percolating and um, sort of forming themselves into like a new pattern or something. Um, so more on that coming soon. Today's episode is with Stephen Hatch of Hatch Family Chocolates in Salt Lake City. Um, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about him in a second. But first, I want to let you know that um, this is the perfect week for this episode to come out. And Stephen and I didn't even really plan this, but um, I'm actually playing a little solo um, set at Hatch Family Chocolates this coming Thursday, November 3rd, um, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. So if you're in Salt Lake, um, yeah, come down and eat some of the chocolates from the shop and sit and listen to some music. I'll just be playing like a casual um, piano voice set. I'll do some originals and some covers, and it'll just be chill and lovely. And a couple of my students, just a few, I think two of my students, are going to come sit in and play um, one of their original songs with me. So it'll be fun and lovely. And I would love to see you there. And I would love to see you supporting Hatch Family Chocolates, a beautiful local creative business. And on that note, I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. I feel like Stephen and I got into a lot of um, a lot of things talking about kind of like art um you know, the fight, the poorest lines between the arts and kind of just artful humanity and artful living, which as you guys know, is my favorite stuff to talk about. And, uh, Stephen is someone who I think is really, um, exemplifying that and kind of pushing those boundaries and finding like these beautiful, you know, porous lines between art and just, you know, being a good person, which is, again, it's just my favorite. So, um, okay. Steven's bio. I think I'm just going to read you the whole thing because it's written with such character. Um, okay. Yeah, here it comes at the age. Oh, he was raised in American fork, which wasn't all that horrible at the age of 19. The perfect acting job came along. It was a very strenuous audition process. After months of searching, the producers of trolls Two could not pass up on Steve's talents. No, seriously, they could not pass him up. They tried, they really tried, but well, they needed someone with minimal acting abilities who was under four feet tall. Steve was offered the non-credited position to play one of the movie's vital roles of a goblin um the movie rocked so much that it wasn't even about trolls <laughs> the rest of steve's life was was average at best i want to say is because he's like still living he did some politics he was a journalist basically he always ended up uh eating his family's highly sought after confections in 2003 steve became one of the founding owners of hatch family chocolates located in salt lake city in 2010 
10, Steve and his business partner Katie were featured on TLC's The Little Chocolatiers. Steve has also been fortunate enough to act as an extra on films um, and such films as The Lone Ranger with Johnny Depp and A Million Ways to Die in the West, directed by Seth MacFarlane. You can listen to Steve on the podcast Your Creativity, and that has like the number eight, like creativity, where he has been honored to serve as co host for the last several years. Mr. Hatch is currently working on his new venture, a made for YouTube and Facebook talk show called Short and Sweet. Oh, I love it. Most nights, Steve can be found eating chocolates and tormenting customers up in the avenues at Hatch Family Chocolate. Steve feels like he has the greatest job in the world where he gets to sample top-notch desserts all day long. Steve will always share that he is most proud of all the community and amazing friends who have made the shop the success it is. Um, yeah, beautiful. Hatchfamilychocolates.com if you want to find the address and you want to come get chocolates at any time or especially if you want to come get chocolates this coming Thursday, November 3rd between the hours of 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. where I will also be there. Um, and as always, it was just a joy to talk with Stephen and get to know him better. I've been wanting to interview him for such a long time and spotlight Hatch Family Chocolates, which really is such a beautifully creative business here in Salt Lake. Um, you know, the chocolates are art for sure. And so is the kind of ethos and culture that Stephen is working to build and has built Um at the shop. So yeah, that's what I want to say. Come see us, come say hi, listen to the hallowed wide. It's all out now. If you go on Spotify or Apple music or YouTube or anywhere, you'll still see all 12 of the tracks as singles. I still need to kind of like release it as one full album. So I'll, that that'll happen sometime soon, but the whole album is there. Um, just listen from like the kind of oldest release, the hallowed wide one to the newest release, the hallowed wide two. It's 12 total songs listen all the way through and then please reach out to me and tell me what you think of it um we also filmed the release show that we did this past weekend with the kind of um theatrical like prose elements um and visual art elements included um and so that will be available i think early in 2023 and i'll have news about that so okay that's all the things as always thanks for listening it means so much to me and i'm really excited for the remaining episodes that are coming here in um season six and i'm almost done recording season seven um and i can't wait for you guys to hear that too blah 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 all the things love 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 Without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Stephen Hatch of Hatch Family Chocolates. Here comes. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. And I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. This episode will be in season six of the podcast. Holy crap, you've so, done six? Yeah, so I've done, this will be like... This will be like interview number like 140 something. Oh, wow. So, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah that's I'm really, cool. I'm really proud of it. And, um, I take it really seriously to like invite, you know, guests who have all different mediums and, you know, who do all different kinds of things. So it's kind of broadly like a conversation. Do you want the headphones? 
you don't have to use them. Okay. Yeah. Um, pull I, that. I know some oh, people are like totally like, um, that some people are totally like headphones and I'm just like, it, like totally. It, well, like, you sound great. I'll tell you if it, you're getting a little bit like too far away from it since I'm monitoring. <laughs> yeah. You can monitor for both of us. Okay, great. Do you have any questions before we start? No. Okay. All right. Well, let's dig in. So this, this conversation is more broadly about like creativity, like art identity. Um, so I'm, I always like to start by talking with people about their creative development in their childhoods. So I know you come from a creative family, but can you talk to me about like, wait, um, you know that I come from a creative family. I mean, your family are chocolatiers, right? Well, I mean, my grandma, your grandma. Was. Yeah, but Does she, that work? I think that means the, there's a creative family. If it's like, there's a legacy of like creativity in the family, at least, I mean, it, it sounds that way from like the, the website about section, <laughs> but like you tell me. So I'm curious about kind of two things. I want to know what kind of your early relationship with creativity was, what kind of mediums you were into, even just in terms of play. So let's start there. It's like the kind of earliest, well, earliest, uh, evidence and manifestation of your own creativity. You know, I think that everybody has creativity, but it, it, as far as like what they, um, you know, I don't know what, what memory I have as a child. I rem I mean, I was just like a normal kid. I played, I, um, you know, I'm, sh I, I don't know what I did, but I, I, I just had a, a vivid childhood. Um, and I, you know, I, everybody was really nice to me growing up. Yeah. Um, I was into sports. I was into a lot of that. Um, right. my, a lot of people don't know my birth mother died when I was two. Um, and, and so, but there's stories that my grandma tells me where I would be in a closet just talking. Yeah. So maybe my mom was my imaginary yeah. friend, but, um, so she, so my grandma would come and knock on the door and just open it up to see if I was okay. And, and I would yell at her and just be like, get out. I'm talking to my mom. To my so mom. I was, so I'm sure that, um, there was some creativity there. Absolutely. But you know, and resilience. I, yeah. But yeah, but I, I think as far as like being way creative, I, you know, some creativity is just so unique and it's so broad. Like I didn't think of myself as creative. I, I like to write, yeah. I, you know, I did stories. I like to do that kind of stuff. I hear this from a lot of my guests. Like I, you know, this idea that creativity is not like the way that I sometimes think about it. And, and I talk about this on the podcast a lot is like, I think our culture likes to think of creativity as being like, product driven like if you don't have a thing to show then it wasn't creativity and I I believe and of course like all creatives agree that like uh it's an internal skill there's like it's imagination it's perspective building it's play it's exploration um and that's why I like to hear people who have creative endeavors as adults talking about how how they developed that almost no one sits here and says like lessons practice, you know, like our, our earliest relationships with creativity, our, our play, our reading, you know, taking things in, like developing our worldview. Um, so yeah. And then I, think I do really think common. it does take, you know, it, once you have that skill, I mean, it, you do have to enhance it and you have to practice it and you have to like use that muscle to keep it going and, yeah. and, you know, to whatever level, whether it's writing, whether it's, you know, right. theater, whether it's chocolate, yeah. I mean, it, it's, 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 it's just, <laughs> I think practice and all of that yeah, is of, important. 
Of course, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I just think, I think almost never does someone sit in this room and tell me that that's the origin, you know, it's like, that's a middle portion. It's like the origin starts with kind of this like curiosity and then, you know, the labor of like developing the skill is kind of that middle funnel. And then we kind of, you know, blossom out into something else. So a hundred percent. Yeah. So you were writing, like, what were you writing as a kid? How did it start? You know, I would just want Yeah. I know I just wrote about anything. Um, I, I had a, a cousin that was really talented and a, was a really good writer. And I think I just kind of picked it up from him. There used to be a guy, um, it, well, he lives in Alpine, Marvin Payne. And I just remember as a child, like going to Marvin would write, these songs that were stories. And so yeah. it was basically, um, I remember one was called the plane maker and, um, it was about this kid and he basically just love planes and it, but it, it had a, a much like broader view. And I remember listening to the plane maker and I think, you know, it was just about this kid and I don't know what Marvin's story was. Yeah. I don't know if it was like the kid, his mom died. I don't know, whatever, but he, he loved airplanes. And so he would create these airplanes. And I think that, you know, it just made your mind kind of go all over. Um, Dennis Smith was also another local artist that's from Alpine. Um, and he did a lot of like sculptures with flying and different things. And so I think that I just loved the imagination like that as a kid. How did you know those people as a child? Dude, I'm old, man. So like, I mean, so I mean, it wasn't like, I mean, yeah, well, some of them went to, you know, school with us. Their kids went to school with us. Okay. So so I think I would just acquaint from that. Do you think it's, is it partly, I think I'm trying to understand, like, it's clear to me, I'm not from Utah. So maybe that's a helpful thing to like, like, I've been here about 10 years. Um, But it's, it's clear to me that like Hatch Family Chocolates is like, a Salt Lake City institution. So I'm wondering sure. if you were if you were kind of plugged into like the local kind of art scene in a different oh. way as a child. It's okay if it's not. I just Hell like no. want to understand. Like, that. I mean, I so um so you knew those people just from like living like if, just were they from in Salt living. Lake back then? No, no, they were actually in Alpine area. So they they lived they lived here. Hatch um, Family Chocolates. Um, yeah, tell, I, give me a I, little I think that, backstory from the, your perspective. You know, the the universe kind of puts you where you need to be, yeah. and and I think that all growing up, Hatch Family Chocolates wasn't really Hatch Family Chocolates. It was my grandmother loved making chocolates. She mm. learned as a child. Um, her husband worked just kind of a bunch of different jobs. And so every winter she would go work at these chocolate companies and dip hand dip chocolates. And so it was like an art form. And I remember at Thanksgiving time, her coming over to our family's house, we would make candy and we would dip them and give them to the neighbors. We didn't have a ton of money. So that was kind of our gifts that we would give people. Um, As I got older, my, my parents were divorced. My dad retired. Um, my dad had a house up in Salt Lake. He turned his whole basement into a kitchen and he was bored and people were like, you know, why don't you do chocolates? And so he actually started dipping chocolates and would sell them at boutiques. So my experience was from that, um, you know, my, my grandma had taught him a love of like chocolates and then I was roped into Hey, I need somebody to sample chocolates. Come help me pack yeah. these. Come help and me do this. How old were you at that time? You know, I was like high school and college about okay. that time. Okay. Um, so that that's how old I was. And but to me, it was just 
oh great another chore another this sure. um, but i didn't think oh my anything. gosh what a chore to sample the chocolates to eat chocolates right <laughs> oh yeah you, i mean you think it sounds easy it's so not um i believe you but i just remember i remember that and then i remember um you know i i had a love of basketball i wrote for like a school paper i loved politics so i was an intern up at the governor's office. Okay, wait, I have more questions. Like, I just... No. <laughs> no. No, no more questions. No. Ah! Um, I want to just have, like, a, a little bit better of, like, a, a grasp on, like, what your kind of, um, like, self-concept was like as, as a child, um, creatively or, you know, in whatever way. So, okay, so you started writing at, like, what age? E even if it was really informal. Like, when did kind of storytelling... Uh, probably, like, junior high. High okay. Like junior high, high school, maybe. Okay. And then before that, like, you know, maybe before you're like 10 or something like that, were you, were you helping your grandmother with the chocolates at that time? Were you drawing? Were you like reading? You know, what was your like kind of, were you? You know, I did. Yeah. I did a ton of reading. Um, I did. Reading like, comic like there books. was like these books called the great brain and different things. I love things. the great brain. So the like, great brain was like a huge influence on me as a little kid too. So I remember those. I remember, yeah. um, like just diff various books, but I, I liked reading. Um, and I like that as far as like the chocolates really, it was more just for the holidays and it was a okay. hobby. Yeah. Um, and I remember my grandmother was really, um, modest like she didn't have a lot of money and so yeah. you know everything that she had she would always want to look as fine as she could of course and she was really sensitive about what she had and so I think that you know growing up I had that I also you know I, I'm a little person so I, it means I have a form of dwarfism I think um that influenced me a lot as well um it's not just as easy to get from point A and go sure. to point B, sure. but there's like different steps or there's different adaptations that you have to do. So I think my whole life was just about like blowing off the obstacles and just going through what's next. And so yeah. I had a lot of surgeries okay. growing up. Um, and so I think, you know, I can't even say that it was creative. I was, it was intense surgeries. And so, you know, uh, a dozen or two um, surgeries wow. and they would be like 12 hour surgeries oh and like yeah. in a body cast for months. And, then, and so all this stuff. So the creativity was more like survival. Like, totally. so like you kind of got to where um, you, I couldn't, especially when I was in the body cast, I couldn't do whatever I wanted. Right. Like I was at the whim of anyone sure. so so like you know you you can be as independent as you want and then realize it doesn't matter because you can't do anything you, you yeah. need you need somebody to help you I'm not sure exactly how to ask this question but you know I'm always looking I, I my belief is that like creativity is like just a, a virtue you know and that yeah. it's something that we need and like curiosity and resilience like these kind of um you know, these principles are things that I think a lot of creative people like have learned by virtue of like being creative people, but it's more the print. I'm more interested in the principle than like the arts per se. So I'm wondering, like, I'm wondering, I guess if you have any insight or like, you know, thoughts or advice about like how to, how to manage that kind of resilience or maybe whether like 
were, did you always feel like resilient about it or was that something you had to kind of like learn? I think that, you know, my parents ingrained it in me too. Um, they, they kind of ingrained that the world wasn't going to be made for you yeah. and, um, to kind of, you, you have to create your world. That and feels I mean, very and, creative to me. And, and so I, I think that that was more, you know, the world isn't created for you. So what are you going to do about it? Yeah. And and it's kind of like tough shit. I mean, it's, it's like, it's tough luck and, um, wow, wow. Like yeah. you, you, I remember conversations where you can sit here and cry and for hours and hours, but what's it really going to do to you? And, and so like, you know, is crying going to get you what you need to do? Yeah. And I, I remember that lesson a lot, like just, that, that crying was cheap and that you had to figure out solutions yeah. or figure out answers. And I think, sorry, go ahead. I, so I think that that was instilled in me um, cool. pretty early on. I think that's, I, I, I relate to some of that. I mean, obviously I didn't have that challenge, but had, you know, other things. Yeah. And, we all uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think like one thing that I feel like has taken me like, you know, good places in my life and, um, has you know served me well is like just trying to think of like what's actionable about this problem like yeah. if there's an obstacle like like there there are usually when there are obstacles are like most of the parameters of that obstacle are not in our control but there's usually something like there's something actionable like there's some kind of a place where like you as an individual can take an action like i like how you're saying that because i think that some people think obstacles are permanent and yeah. so that that result is nope it's black or white it's yeah. this is it and and i don't see obstacles as that i see obstacles as just a like a puzzle trying to figure a out puzzle. like a solution to that right. and uh, yeah i think you nailed it as far as yeah obstacles are more they're not black and white and they're not, they're not always a no. Yeah. Like usually it's just, um, it's trying to build a broader like totally. thinking. Like where can I take action? And maybe that action is really internal and maybe that action is external. Maybe that action is like extremely meandering and maybe it seems like it's like not even related to the problem, but like, you know, yeah, I totally agree. Like seeing problems as a puzzle to solve and like, well, where can I take a bite out of this? You know, like, where can I take action? Like, I'm really sensitive right now because I think that a lot of the generation is missing out on that. Yeah. And and I think it's because it, it is, I'm not a parent. So, I mean, it's easy for me to sit and, and, and critique or, or to say, but I, I think as a parent, you're probably trying your best to do everything for your child so that they don't experience pain, they don't experience problems and you're like catering and making sure that they never encounter those. Mm -hmm. And I think by not encountering that, you know, they don't figure out problems. And right. so they don't, when, when something comes up and, and they need to think through answers, they don't have that skill. Right. It doesn't come naturally for them. And, you know, they can actually probably do it way better than I did as a kid. Um, cause they have technology and they have yeah. all these resources that so are amazing. But I think we, as their mentors or as, as um, people trying to protect them, yeah. um, sometimes do them a disservice by solving the problem. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I teach a bit. I also don't have children, but I, I teach, I teach college. I teach a lot of kind of people in their twenties and I, and I sometimes teach teenagers and kids and I feel like my students will kind of look at me like I'm crazy sometimes. Like they'll present me with some kind of a frustration or a problem. And I, I'll look them in the eye with like total earnestness and be like, 
what are you going to do about it? And they, they look at me like, well, I'm just complaining, you know, or like, what do you mean? What am I going to do about it? And I just feel like there's some, there's gotta be something like, what can we do? Like, what are you going to do? Well, and then, and then it's really easy to go to a cancel culture and just be kind of like, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to boycott them. Right. You know, and I, I think that's an easy approach. And, but I think that, Okay, Will Smith slapping somebody. Is there problems that we could help, as opposed to just boycott him, yeah. or, or 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 to kind of deal with some of the ugliness and some of the different things? Yeah, I, I think having is, some is, empathy, yeah, is kind of important. And I'm not saying that everything should not be, of course, you know, like canceled. There are boundaries but, there, yeah. but no, I agree. But but I think that also some of those boundary boundaries are unnecessary, and it's just like we don't talk about the ugly and we just, we, and it, you could see that in politics. Like it's yeah. just my view or the highway and, yeah. and that's it. But nobody has learned how to talk through their problems totally. or talk through all of that. I couldn't agree more. And anyone who's like a regular listener of this podcast will know, like it's just a pet like topic of mine. Like I'm always talking about how, like, I just believe like, again, the arts are so valuable and really interesting and fascinating, but I'm so much more fascinated by just like creativity broadly. And I think like creative thinking, like creative kind of empathy skills, like understanding someone else's perspective, that's where creativity is most needed in our society. And I also like think a lot about politics and ethics and like, you know, social development as like a, a wing of creativity and, and the most important application of creativity. Well, I think it comes out of necessity sometimes being creative. U- Utah mm-hmm. Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was student body president there years ago. And so like at UVU. Yeah. Cool. And, and when it was not UVU yeah, but, and, and, then. and even before then, and do you know the origins of it? I don't, the, the origins will, of the college yeah, was, it is like in the forties and um, in the forties, Sorry if if I'm like long winded, but in no, the forties, um, the World War II was going on. Yeah. They had all these raw materials like iron and stuff, but they couldn't make ships. They couldn't make tanks. They couldn't make all these things because people didn't know how to do it, like wow. how to make them. Right. So that's why Geneva still was created, and then Geneva still skill still. We needed all these people to work the still plant. Yeah. That's why UV. SC was created or wow. UVU. So it was, it was created in the forties to help train people to create metal and to turn metal into yeah. like use for the war. Cool. Um, but, but I also, when I, when I went to UVU, I liked it because anybody could get in. It's open yeah. enrollment. I like that and too. so, you know, if you were the student that, that never showed up at school, at class, yeah. um, it was still a place that you could go to get further your education. And I think that there's all kinds of organized education and different ways that you can always keep learning. But I love that the concept and, you know, way back when they had all the trades with the academics. And so you'd have like the ethics programs with the body shop guys, the guys like remodeling these amazing cars and these classic cars. And to them, it was all one and the same. And it was just bettering the community and bettering the world. And so I kind of saw UVU as like one of the most creative places, but it was built Mm -hmm. out of necessity. And it was trying to show that there's need in society for all of those roles that like not one is more important than the other. You know, the trades are just as important as academia. And I really loved that. 
I love that too. So I, I used to teach at BYU, um, for like four years. I, I'm not LDS anymore, but I taught at UVU for one year before that. And then I'm back there now. I've been there two years again. But, um, when I was teaching there before, I think this was like 2013, 2014, um, the new music building hadn't been built yet. And all of the music classes were in the same hallway as the body shop. So I, I totally agree. Like that was such a special energy. Like it's so easy to get in kind of like an ivory tower or get like, you know, a little kind of elitist when you're studying, you know, opera or, you know, whatever I I teach my, my specialty is like commercial voice and, and my degrees are in jazz studies. Um, But yeah, I mean, I really, really agree. Like humans are so interesting. Human ingenuity is so interesting. Um, Like resilience. I mean, the resilience of our species is just fascinating to me. Um, And I, I really deeply agree that like we all have kind of interesting things to contribute. And it was beautiful seeing that like kind of juxtaposition of like academia and and that position like kind of it it influenced my whole life I mean I I went to the U I I took classes from one of the ex-mayors of Salt Lake City and he made the statement and it's I mean it sounds trite and it sounds um like demeaning but it, it wasn't he said I never realized how important garbage men were until they went on strike and um because he was like you know, it's really easy to overlook or to take for granted the different roles that everybody has in a community. Right. Um, I, I saw from that stand, you know, I had worked with governors, legislators. I covered basketball players. I covered um, all of these different things. You mean and, as a writer? Yeah. yeah okay. And well, and, and actually as a, a, I was an intern for Governor Levitt way back in the 90s. Wow. And so, you know, I could walk on the floor of the Senate in the house. And, um, I could, I could, I I loved that. But what I realized is all those guys sitting in those seats or the, the, the house speaker or the president of the Senate, all of them were just people, man. And, um, some of them thought they were more amazing than they were. Mm. But when I looked at them, they were all just like a garbage man. I mean, everybody has a role. And, um, I, so when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, by this time, I had met a, a little person who was from Chicago. Her family ran restaurants. She went to pastry cool. school. Um, she came out here just out of necessity, worked with my dad, dipping chocolates. Her and I were the, all of a sudden then like, what should we do? And we yeah. opened up this shop. That's how we opened up the chocolate shop. That's so amazing. So, I mean, it, it was just kind of like the pieces were all there, but we didn't see them ahead of time. They were just, the signs were there and yeah. we we took them when they came. Michael Feldman a couple of months ago, you know him, right? From yeah. Feldman's Deli. And uh, he said something really similar. It was like, we have these skills. Let's do a thing. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I'm really inspired by that. And I, I mean, I'm the least important one at our chocolate shop. I, I, I am horrible at dipping chocolates. I'm horrible at that, but I am, I love people. Yeah. And so, you know, I have the greatest job in the world. I get to meet amazing people all day long. Um, and they come to our shop to forget about all the crap going on in the world, all the horrible things. Um, and just to have a warm, fuzzy feeling. That's why they're coming. Escape. That's incredible. Well, and I, I do think like having that kind of vision is like, I mean, that's, it's big, it's large scale creativity, which is just, I mean, it's really important. Um, Oh, I had a question. Okay. I, I have several questions. So I'd like to know, um, so uh, up until the time that you were like, 
What, how old were you when you were deciding to open the shop? Oh, that will maybe help me. You know, it was probably in like my mid to late twenties. Okay, actually, probably even closer, almost thirty. Okay, yeah. So during like your kind of teen years and like early adulthood, like when the you know the, I feel like that's when our brains are like our identities are like getting a little more solidified. Like you know we're kind of coming into our own. Like you know leaving our our parents' worldviews, maybe. I know that's a little general, but at that point in time, um, were you mostly, like, I want to know kind of what your relationship was like with creativity at that time, and it can be these kind of um, esoteric, like, types of things, and maybe also what your relationship was like with, like, the arts. You know, I wasn't even really an artsy person, per se. Yeah, um, that's fine, I, of I, I, I think I... Um, I liked it, but I just didn't know how to appreciate art. Um, yeah. But I was a writer. I think and, I mean that's and, art. <laughs> and, and and I, I, but I wasn't even a great writer. Like um, I'm horrible with like punctuation and yeah. and grammar and and um. So luckily, there's editors with newspapers, yeah. so they could like help edit my stories. How but were you thinking about writing? Like, what did it, you like about d- it? Like, you know, well, the reason I did it is I loved basketball. Okay, and so it was a way to like meet these amazing people and i mean it was it was it was the best of basketball michael jordan was playing the jazz in the finals and so i was there i was like you know in the arena in the locker rooms i was in so i mean so for me creativity too like you're finding a way to get yourself like in those places that you're interested in yeah, like That's I loved really cool. it. And, you know, I think I loved it because growing up at my high school team was the people that supported me when I was doing physical therapy for all my leg surgeries. Yeah. So, you know, I could associate basketball to them. And then the love of basketball was from them. It was more than just like a, um, a game. It was like they Good made fa- me walk. or something. That's so cool. So I, I think that. I didn't look at it as like just an art form. It was more, I just loved it. I was just interested in it. Like a passion. And I think that that's really important for people too, is to not just, you don't have to have just one topic when you're that age. I mean, wherever. Yeah. yeah, I mean like (laughs) life's all about like learning and just the wherever, however you can learn. I, I completely agree like and that's why I do this like I was talking with some friends last Friday my couple of my like professor friends at UVU other music professors we had we got together and um we're talking about um just how interesting people are and they were like well you know I just want to talk to different people and like know like what do you know about stuff And and they were like do you feel like that and I was like you've all been on my podcast. Like I'm like, I'm so clearly like interested in people and want to talk to people and like just finding a way. I mean, I'm a professional musician, but like this is like, it's, it feels um, in some ways unrelated to that, but in some ways like deeply, it comes from the same like core things. Well, and yeah, like I, I have the greatest job in the world. I, I get to eat chocolate and candy all day long. Um, but I get to meet so many incredible people. Yeah. And I, I think that you, people are unknown. And so when they come into a chocolate shop, I mean, everybody's equal. Um, yeah. So there's no like celebrity or uncelebrity. Everybody's yeah. like on the same page. But as I start talking with people, 
everybody's story is so fascinating and where they come from that I get to just soak it in. And I almost ask the exact same damn questions. And my staff will like to start laughing because I'm always like, so are you doing anything fun tonight? What are you guys doing? But then I like the the trick is I listen. And so then I like listen to where they're going or what they're doing. And that conversation can go like a thousand different ways. And it's really interesting to listen to where people are or what they do. You're saying all my favorite things. Yeah, I I have like a regular practice of like, I ask people, like, what are you excited about lately? And then then I really listen. And there's always like, I've said this on the podcast a few times, but my husband is always, my husband is always saying to me, like, how do you find such interesting people to be on the podcast? And I'm like, I think you're thinking about it wrong everyone's interesting. <laughs> like it's, it's, more, it's not finding the right people. Although I do really try to like, make sure that I'm getting like, that I'm, that I'm not just talking with like kind of one kind of person or someone who I think is going to agree with me or, you know, I really try to challenge my own worldviews too. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just about kind of lis- listening, like you said, and you said something that I love, like people are unknown, which I fully agree. And that's why this podcast is called artifice because, you know, I just, I just believe that like there's inherent, um, misunderstanding and in sort of inherent, like, um, unsolvable, like mystery, you know, oh, like yeah. in people. And yeah. I think in artists, like, you know, I think this is true across the board, but artists, I think like people think they kind of understand sometimes like what it is that we're doing. And I think they don't, but also just more broadly people. <laughs> yeah. People are just, there's just mystery. But, but the, all of these people though, the one thing that's, that's common is there's a passion about something. Yeah. And, and that passion I think can drive creativity or drive like your intellect or drive Absolutely. whatever. I, I, where our shop is up in the avenues, there's a really cool lady that lives just, you know, not even a, a block away, a half block or a quarter of a block, uh, Pilar Poble. And um, she's like in her 90s, but she was from Spain. Her grandpa was like worked for the king of Spain before there was a revolution wow. in Spain. Cool. Um, he was on the wrong side. So her, so, so her grandpa and like her, her dad and her uncles, all these guys were like killed. And, um, oh my God. you know, she remembers seeing people killed when she was nine. Wow. And, um, you know, she ended up people from her, her island in, in more, Mallorca, Mallorca, however you say it. Yeah, I think it's Mallorca. Yeah, Yeah. but it's so in Spain. And um, she remembers these people protected her. And she remembered actually one of the ladies that protected her. um, She saw her shot right in front of her um, because they were protecting Pilar and her and her family. And um, so she had all these horrible stories. What I know Pilar as is like when you go through her house, every inch of it is beautiful and colorful and it has like all these different details. And, you know, she had this tragic life, but I think she releases some of that in her art. And I think, you know, it's her way of coping with everything that she, she dealt with and, um, you know, making sure that everybody sees the color and sees like the beautifulness of life. So beautiful. I love that. But yeah, yeah, she's, there's so many people like that. And, um, yeah, she's just one example. But. Did you always love people? Yeah, I mean, but I don't know 
why i mean yeah. i did yeah i think i'm the same it, way like i yeah. just i i think people always i'm short again um so i stand out and i think people would always just uh, associate it was easy i was unique and so they would come and talk to me um but i I could have shied away from that yeah. or I could, I am a talker also. So yeah. I think I just utilized it. Yeah. That's, that's lovely. Um, what did the, so I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure what time period to ask about, but like, I guess maybe before you really got into the business of the, the chocolate, um, shop, um, what did like the, what did the chocolates like mean to you? Like, w did you think about it aesthetically and visually, or was it always more of a community thing or like, how did you feel? How did you conceive of it? You know, I think it, it, for me, it was, um, it, it like a door opener. Um, like I, 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 see, I, yeah. I would take chocolates to basketball players or politicians um, as just wow. a gift and, yeah. and just like a connection of here's, um, something to stand out. I yeah. think it was more just who doesn't like chocolate. Um, but I, I think that, you know, what drove me was people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think when you're young, you're like, I was a, a hopeless romantic. And I think I just ended up, um, I, I found this girl, Katie, um, who was from Chicago, her dream was to open up kind of a movie theater with fancy desserts and do stuff like that. Cool. And and I think I just loved people. And I mean, I liked Katie. And yeah. and I think so in my mind, I was kind of like, oh, that would be actually kind of cool. And so it wasn't like sure. I had like this solid plan from day one. Yeah, of course. Um, but I think that what ended up happening is I, I then had a different idea. Oh, a movie theater. And then it, it changed from movie theater to, well, I don't really know how to do desserts or anything. It, my dad does the chocolates. Why yeah. don't we combine the chocolates and pastries and do, yeah. okay, we're not going to do a theater, but maybe we could do a, a chocolate pastry shop. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how it just kind of evolved. And then I think, you know, some of those under things were, then it was really more my passion than anything. It was my dream. It wasn't yeah. about Kate anymore. Right. It was about, no, I love that. We're like one of the coolest chocolate shops in this, yes, in the world. In the world. And so like, I really yeah. love that. And, um, I, and again, I get to meet like all people. these incredible people. So I love, like, I love food as a medium. Like I'm just, I'm moved by food. I think like I'm a professional musician and so music is, it, it doesn't quite feel like the same type of expression to me anymore. Like it's not a hobby in the same way. Yeah. Of course, it's still like very heightened and very important, but I feel like food has like taken that space that like maybe music was for me as a, as a younger person. But it can be used as like, uh, I don't know when you look at like all these old movies or these European towns and food is like an experience totally it's, it's not just like but it's it, it creates mood and it creates like absolutely and community and like it's yeah. it's love and it's like it's so intimate so i love interviewing chefs i've interviewed a lot of chefs and i hear you i hear you saying like you don't actually make the chocolates but i'm almost like i'm really curious from your perspective being like of of course a creative presence in the building of this thing what like 
what your thoughts are on on food as a medium and like what it's like to be in kind of like a an emotionally artful space like in conjunction with food with creative art and food art food creativity i mean i think it goes back to like my college experience it goes back to all that stuff but i think you know there's I did business in college too and, and, um, politics and the, the way to make brands or the way to make brands connect, it was to touch their emotions and, and hitting an emotional level. And I think food automatically does that. And so the more senses you can get with somebody, the more loyal of a customer or a fan base they're going to be. And I, I think that, you know, Honestly, I just think I wanted to create an escape. Like I, I wanted to create my childhood had really shit stuff too. And and I think everybody's does, but I think that I wanted to create a place where you just kind of come and forget like chocolate shops in Europe were really amazing. We saw some in Belgium and, um, when did you go? It was like, I mean, it's been forever ago, but it, it was, it was early on with our shop, like okay. within a year or two of us opening. And I remember going to Europe and seeing their, like Brussels, their chocolate shops were open till midnight. And mm. um, people would go to the theater, go to dinner, and then they would go to the chocolate shop and it was like to cap off the night. Yeah. So they would they would drink their coffee and, um, you know, eat a chocolate. And that was the way to end it. But the under one of my favorite sounds behind that was just the gibber, gibbering and the chattering and um yeah. like the laughing and in all these places. And so people were just like talking and just like full of joy. You know, you would have an a couple out on a day a first date, you'd have an older couple that was like they're on the millionth date. And yeah. um, but it was just a place where people could just talk and they would forget their troubles. And and I think that that hit me as that's what we created. And we were trying to create that in the middle of a neighborhood in the avenues in Salt Lake city. I love that. Growing up all the chocolate shops that I knew were at a mall. Right. And um, this was a place where you could just come sit down and you could eat all the desserts. You could eat, you know, all of it there, but it, it, it was touching into, you know, the senses. That's what, I wanted to create and the chocolates are just a means to get to that sense. Well, I think all art is like that, right? Like I I think the vast majority of artists would echo really similar sentiments. Like the, the art itself, the product is like a conduit to some deeper goal or some like deeper principle or like, you know, some artists, I think their purpose is like to, um, you know, get uh, the consumer, the listener, the viewer to um, experience a new perspective, to kind yeah. of have empathy for a new perspective or to, you know, uh, to to alter the listener's mood in some kind of a way. I mean, I think it's always some version of that. Um, I've been thinking as you've been talking, like, I love this idea of like, you know, being a romantic, like that also feels like a very creative kind of identifier. Um I don't, I'm not sure what to ask, but I think I'm curious, like if you always felt that way and like what it means to you to, well, let me, let me say like one other preface. Like I've always been a glasses half full person. Okay. Yeah. Optimistic. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, I mean, 
given my life, I, I think you could look at it as, whoa, that was shitty. Like, yeah. I mean, um, first off, I'm, I'm born with some disease that they had no clue what it was. Um, it took them years. They did test, test and test and test. And then, you know, they told my parents I was going to be this or that. And, um, and even being a little person, the stereotypes that come with that, yeah. the doctors thinking my quality of life is going to be less valuable than somebody else's or right. this, um, to lose my mom when I was like two, then not really knowing what was going on, having kind of an older lady that would take care of me. Yeah. The neighbors would kind of take care of me while my father was at work. Wow. And then um, my father finding an, an, a second wife um, when I was four or five. And that person, be, you know, treated me just like her own ch children. Dude, so, so she became my mom. You know, so I think that you you could look at the tragedy and all of that. Um, and I think some people do and they just like deal with it. Or at some point you need to just keep moving. Like yeah. I, I find that actionable. Yeah. Place. And I don't know how to describe that. Like, I think that my dad um, probably instilled it, but it was out of just, you know, survival and you just kind of just keep going. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot lately, like, just privately, I, I, I don't know if you're like this, but like when I have like a topic I'm thinking about, sometimes I think about it for like a year before I talk about it. So like this topic is like, it's half baked. Like I'm still thinking about it, but I've been thinking a lot about like earnestness and the ways in which like our society isn't great at allowing adults to be earnest. And I, I, I love this idea of like the chocolate shop being an escape and a, and a place where maybe people can be a little more earnest, be a little more like childlike or like have a joy. And I think I'm just wondering, like, I think I'm just wondering like how that idea evolved or like if you have any other, you know, philosophizing to do on the subject. No, I tend to get, I tend to get bored okay. or, or um, <laughs> with people that are me, 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 me and that are pretentious and that are like, yeah. you know, telling you how brilliant they are. Mm. Um, cause it, they're compensating for something yeah. where the most brilliant people will never tell you. The most rich people will never tell you how much money they have cause they don't care. Like yeah. they, they don't not trying to prove anything. No. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, f I think for me it was more, yeah, I, I just want to take people as an empty slate. Yeah. Um, there are people that will come into the shop, have no clue it's me, mine or, or my ex-wife, um, who's also a little person and they'll, they'll treat us differently and they'll, mm. they'll kind of be like, Oh, it's how cute that they're letting you work at the shop right. and, and how, you know, how is this? Yeah. And then they realize it's actually my shop yeah. and then they, you know, they'll treat me different mm. by that point. I'm done. Like yeah. I'm already, you know, I'm already, I'm not even trying to engage yeah, them. I'm letting kind of my off to them. Yeah. yeah I'm letting naturally. my employees help them as opposed yeah. to that. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if that kind of hits where, where you're going. I do love I, genuineness. Yeah. And, and I, I love sincerity. I love, I love real, not, not fake shit. Um, yeah. I can see through it pretty easy. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't, like just, you know, yeah. the, 
just the compliments to compliment and just to flatter you is is stupid. Yeah. But but I think I've always like just like genuine people. Yeah. And and I think, I think I that the way. shop has been cool because the people that continue to come tend to I get to know more and more about them yeah. as a genuine person as yeah. opposed to just who yeah. I think they might be. I think the thing I'm thinking about is like it almost feels like this joy this genuineness this kind of like escape like that's your medium as much as like the chocolate is i think i uh, think that's kind of what i'm thinking a thousand percent yeah and and i think that it's it's so amazing like yeah. it, you know i'm in such a good position to to see that and yeah. to see like all of these experiences you know i love listening to like matthew mcconaughey is a pretty brilliant i i actually like Jim Carrey actually listening to him yeah. and to actually his deep philosophies Wisdom. are actually yeah. really, it, it's amazing. And yeah. it, it talks about doing what your passion is, what your heart says. And Steve jobs. I mean, I think that what he taught was when you look back, there were all these different points in your life that maybe at the time you didn't understand what they were for, right. but there was a purpose in it. And the universe has a way of keeping you, to where you need to be. Yeah. And so you might go out on this other path and it's going to reverse you and take you back to where you need to be. Yeah. Yeah. I love those kinds of stories too. I, I talk with a lot of artists who have had a dormant period, like a, a period where they kind of like were away from like that perp, that sense of purpose. And a lot of artists talk about that with like a little bit of like, maybe shame is too strong of a word, but like just a little bit of like, Oh, that time wasn't important. Like, I don't like to talk about it. And I kind of feel like, no, these stories are so beautiful of like, like it's just a testament to like how strong those, those things inside of us are like, you know, yeah. coming back to that identity, like no matter what it is, like I, I can't I forget who it was that I was interviewing, but one of my guests was talking about, um, that he was really influenced by this book about like um, by a motorcycle mechanic and like just hearing that person talk about like the like motorcycle mechanics was like so creative like it felt like art and I just I think that's the the key like you know if what you're doing like feels like art and whether that's your profession or whether it's parenting or whether it's some community thing you do or a hobby that you do it, like it doesn't have to be what your income comes from but if there's something in your life that feels like um that kind of undeniable thing like that's i don't know well really and, cool. and and what is that i mean what is how what's the value of art and society and and in one's life and i think that you know like music it it's kind of it it's the sound of color. I mean, so it's right. the sound of like, you know, those emotions and the, the different things. And I think that art, man, the world without art, what's the point? And, and so, yeah. you know, I think art is in everything yeah, and, um, I agree. and, and that creative, like thinking, but no matter if you're a rocket engineer, um, it, it doesn't matter. Like right. there's art and all of that. And there's, there's art in relationships. There's art in like, in politics, like, you know, or there's in, you know, there should be like yeah. in a, in an idealistic sense, like everything, you know, has the potential to be artful. So I like, I think about that as like a, 
of value a lot. Like I am an artist in like a really uh, practical sense. Um, I my my income comes from the arts, but also like I just think about it being more like an identity. Like how can I live artfully? Like what does it mean to do everything that I do artfully? And of course I'm like nowhere near there, but that's like that's kind of where I try to like put my values and I'm 34 just barely. So I feel like I have, I feel very young in like the context of life. So I don't know. All all I'm trying to say is I, I have plenty of learning to do, but I feel like that's my goal to like, just, you know, like approach life artfully. Well, and okay. I, I, I keep seeing this like little clip over and over again and it was Matthew McConaughey and I think he was, it was when he won like the best actor for um Dallas book Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um but he talked about like somebody asked him, you know, who's your role model or who's your he said, Give me give me a week or so to think about that. Yeah. And they came back and he said, Who is your hero? And he said, It's me in ten years from now. And um so mm-hmm. he, you know, ten years later yeah. it, the guy said, So have you made your hero? Are you are are you that person? And he's like, No, not even close. It's it's me now another ten years out. And yeah. but his point was that you're always learning and that you're always trying to we won't ever reach that right. success. And yeah. but we are always striving to be our better selves. Right. And um, you know, that can be by learning or like appreciating others or yeah. or doing all that. I really like that because I think that is, you know, how we all should be. I like agree. just trying to to always be better. Um and in even in relationships, you know, you become stagnant if you're doing the same thing over and over and there's nothing else to learn. Right. I know everything about Emily. I don't need to learn anything else about right. her. Yeah. So yeah, we're done. I already know what she's going to do, what she's going <laughs> to think yeah. because I already know everything about her right. and that's impossible. Totally. I actually, I'm, I'm in the middle of releasing a new album right now. That's like about this. It's called the hallowed wide, which is like, it's kind of a fantasy concept record, but like the hallowed wide, is what I've chosen to name like this distance between people like it's very sacred and it's very wide and uh, it's you know vast and you can't ever fully know another person especially because that person is always changing you know maybe just when you feel like you're getting a handle on you know the how that person was when you met them like what's happened by now you know I don't know I find that also like very interesting and kind of terrifying to think about, you know, that you never really know somebody, but it's also like such an exciting prep, uh, preposition, proposition, premise it's- is the better word. <laughs> it's, it's an exciting premise. And also like, I don't know, it just feels to me like this mystery is so like, if we can approach that level of mystery with like earnestness and with genuineness and with like, just a bit of wonder then all those things that are scary about it. Like, I don't know. It just, it just feels important <laughs> to like see people that way. Well, and I think it's also important to let them be them. And, and like, if I put this goal of what I believe Emily should be and that, and you know, Emily, Oh, this is what you're meaning. Right. That's really not what you're meaning. It's what I think you're meaning. Right. And so then that's my interpretation of what you should be doing right. instead of just sitting back and say, so how can I help? Right. Yeah. And that's like as or easy tell as tell me more. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like that, that 
instead of me trying to like dictate to you what your dreams should be or should not be. There's a book about this. Like maybe you've read it. It feels like something that if you have a business degree, you like would have thought about, but it's like a book that corporate people always give like their something about like, Anyway, I'll just say like the thing and then maybe you'll know what I'm talking about or some listener will be like, it's this. Um, it's I could look in my audible because it's definitely there too. But this idea of like when you've made up your mind about someone else, you'll you'll have a tendency to like ignore any evidence that goes like against that and you'll yeah. like kind of look for the evidence. Like so if you've decided that someone bothers you or that someone is like, you know, you're you're you are invested in making that true, <laughs> like in invested in making that person like kind of a bad person or in making this person kind of a good person. And that's an idea that like really leaves an impression on me as well. It sounds like a similar. Well, and I have to remember to quit judging people. And, and it's hard. <laughs> yeah. because like, you know, sometimes our first instincts are completely wrong. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. Like we build up this judgment of who that person is going to be. Yeah. And um, if you're not open to the changes and open to the differences, man, you're, you you may miss out on people. I yeah. look back to high school and there's like people that I didn't really associate with. And then I had best friends. Now, some of my best friends I'm not that close with. And some of those people that I had all these stereotypes about, I'm like, holy shit, they're like really amazing. Like, Isn't that wonderful? Why didn't I hang out with them? And But I think that like that's the same thing is right. just try not to put any judgments on everybody. And I think we all do have judgments, yeah. but I think being realistic and to know that they're not finite. Exactly, so, just like, letting every, them update. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, I've experienced that too. Like people that I never talked to in high school or never talked to in college and – like the points at which we've like learned to, you know, have a, a relationship now are things that neither of us even knew how to talk about back then, which I think yeah. makes perfect sense. Like, um, or they may have even have gone through the same experiences that you were and you were just totally oblivious that they were experiencing the exact same thing. I think that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, I, um, my, I talk about this a lot, but, but my parents and especially my mom, I think were were narcissistic. My mom has, my mom's no longer living and I'm estranged from my dad, but you know, that really, um, informed my childhood. It was, it was, they were pretty emotionally abusive to me. And, um, you know, I think I had a lot of myself closed off during my teens and my twenties. Cause I just didn't know what to do with any of that pain or confusion or trauma. Um, and you know, and because of that, I was, I was not open to certain kinds of relationships because I was just trying to survive. And, you know, as I've developed better tools and have learned how to talk about these things, you know, those people that were experiencing similar things in college, you know, come out of the woodwork and now we have these great relationships. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like we were totally going through the same thing, but neither of us knew how to, how to talk about it or how, you know, it was like, we're not ready to even look at this thing. And that, that is key. Also, we, we weren't ready. And I think sometimes the universe has timing and there's like reasons, like maybe we don't know that until later on. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, I, I taught at BYU for those years, which it was an interesting experience that I've, that I've talked about a bit, but, um, I grew up LDS and then I mostly, I spent most of my adulthood not 
in a place where a lot of LDS people were. So I kind of like, I, I, in retrospect, I think I sort of like designed my own version of Mormonism. Like when I was in college in Texas, you know, kind of like became my own little like expansive thing. And then when I moved to Utah, it came crumbling down for me personally pretty quickly. But I will say like during those years that I was teaching at BYU and I was dealing with like in private kind of my own like like burgeoning atheism I think or at least like some deep agnosticism you know I I had such a beautiful experience teaching those students there and now a lot of the students that I taught at BYU are some of my best friends and my closest colleagues um you know because they're now they're just graduated and they're professional musicians too but you know I've watched like students who were who started you know as my students really closed-minded homophobic, you know, whatever. And who now are like some of the best allies that I know. And it's just, I don't know, it's such a testament to like, you know, you should have boundaries with people. It's, we don't need to give time and space to people who are causing harm, but we can offer patience. We can offer like an update, you know, we can keep that, we can keep that little bit of curiosity open And if, you know, those people who have caused harm actually do like evolve, you know, we can open that door back up. I don't know. I just, it's been an interesting thing to see. And I think listening, you know, I I think that it's, it's easy for us to only see our view, but to, to, it, it does take something to kind of sit back and to like zip our our mouth and just shut up and just listen. And, um, and, and for them to experience, I mean, you I grew up a certain way also. Um, but I, you know, some people are then so anti and so they spend the rest of their life like trying to, I don't know, get revenge. And I, and I, I think, yeah, I'm more just about openness and about like just listening and trying to see where people are coming from. That's the important thing. I, you know, I think, and I could be wrong about this because I tend to be optimistic as well. Like I'm, I think I'm just like, I was born a bit of an optimist, I think. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think when people get really anti and like, you know, Mormonism is something that we deal with here, but I just believe there are parallels all over the world. Yeah, like any religion has some or stuff. even any philosophy, any worldview like. But I, I think like, you know, when people get really when people leave this ideology and become really antagonistic toward it, I also think that what those people want is like to be heard and seen and understood um there it's pain you know it's pain and it's alienation and a and a loss of community a loss of like you know respect i think um a loss of a voice like you know you're used to having a voice and then suddenly you don't have a voice anymore so i i also feel curious and sort of um i mean as a person who's left the church and has basically lost my whole family. Like, um, I feel like, <laughs> like I would have every right to feel like really, really angry toward the church. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes I do, but, but I also like want to apply these creative principles that I'm talking about and thinking like, what do I really want? I don't want revenge. I want to just be heard, you know, and have a place. And I, I think a lot about, I am, I spend a lot of time imagining, a future where there's room for both, you know? 
I well, I think it's a. I would prefer to live in that world than to be told what I'm supposed to listen to or not listen to, or right. or what I'm supposed to believe or not believe. Uh, yeah. 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 It feels really related. I mean, and frankly, like I've said this before, it's not a new idea, but I started this podcast like right after I stopped teaching at BYU. And I think a lot of it was because I have that vision of like a world where we're more tolerant, a world where we see each other more creatively, a world where we have like better empathy. Um, yeah. And, and this, this podcast feels like kind of an abundance practice like into yeah. that direction to me yeah. um when you were studying business were you thinking at all about a, a chocolate shop or like like no i mean I, that was I, something I, that i sort I, of assumed like I, reading your bio i think you know yeah i know right yeah because I, I, that made sense like oh he had this idea of like running the shop but what were you thinking no i think about? that the idea came from me like try for the chocolate shop was oh how do I like talk with Kate? How do I like do this? That was my first why. Like, yeah. wh like, why am I doing this? Or what did I want to create? It was it was driven by that. Okay. Um, and and in some ways that wasn't fair to her because okay. you know that yeah. was a lot of pressure around like, is Steve doing this just because of me? And right. and I think that as it evolved, honestly, it is more my dream than I think hers. Yeah. As far as this. I just loved politics. I loved marketing. I loved advertising. I loved um, that. And and so... What did you I, think you were going to do? I had no freaking yeah. clue. You were just like, following. I, I, you know, I think at one point I thought I was going to go into law school and I was going to be an attorney. I, yeah. At one point I thought, yeah, I'm totally going to be a politician. I'm going to do this. Um but, and then I decided. You still could do that. Yeah, I, I, I yes. Mean, do you I ever could. think about running for office? No, because I think I the platform. I think the platform I have right now more powerful. Way more powerful. It's so and I can't be. I, I can't be yeah. voted out. So right. you know, I like what I'm doing, yeah. and I think that I can support the people I want. Yeah. Um, actually, what's kind of. I listened to Jay Leno last night, like on, on some stupid like YouTube. It was like just some quick interview yeah. and it was about he made something that like made me think. And he said he started to stop talking about politics um, mm. because he said people will automatically make a prejudgment about you yeah. if you do that. And I think that I sometimes may need to practice that oh and, yeah and, and to like shut up and not to and because i need to listen to where somebody else is coming from yeah as opposed to having them make a prejudgment about me or my beliefs i totally agree and again like i mean this is an art podcast but like i'm talking about politics religion identity like it's morality um but i love it but i i agree it's like if the, we begin the conversation talking about art all of those other things which are so essential to who we are i mean as individuals and also as like a people as a as a community um there's so much ease there the topics are easier to approach open-heartedly when the beginning of the topic is chocolate yeah, <laughs> or art versus like but what, labeling it okay, as politics. There's two things. So one thing that really struck out with me was at school at, at UVU 
was I took a class from the then president of the the college, um, Carrie Romsberg and Elaine Engelhart, and it was their honors ethics and values. Wow. And I, I remember I never have taken any other honors class, but I did it because they <laughs> I wanted to hang with President Romsberg. That sounds like but, a cool class. But I really liked it. And um, what he taught me or what him and Elaine taught me was they they would always write I less quoting tell me more what you feel and mm-hmm. it just stuff like that and it was more like what you can quote things but it if I want to hear why you feel some way yeah. not why somebody else felt some way mm-hmm. and I thought I I've incorporated that I was actually still studying when we opened up our shop. Wow. 19 years ago, I was still studying wow. to try to, to get an integrated studies bachelor's degree. I, I dropped out and I dropped out because one of the classes I was taking at the time was a business ethics class. Mm-hmm. And our teacher, I can't even remember his name. But he, I was always late to class. And it yeah. was because I was starting this company up in Salt Lake, right. driving down to Orem. And so I was always late. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm just starting this business. And he said, oh, what are, what's your business? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm starting a chocolate shop. And he laid in on me. And he went in on like, you know, all the world's chocolate is made by this and that. And he, it, and it was about, you know the slavery and about chocolate being made by slaves. Mm. And, and I, I was like, uh, I'm just opening a chocolate shop, but you know, so like, I, so I, I just kind of like listened to him, but the next class period, he, they, they had an ethics seminar and it was an ethics program where they had people come and listen. They had guests from all over the, the country coming in and our teacher taught, or talked at this. And so our, our class was to go listen to wow. these speakers. And he made the statement in the speech. He's like, I had one of my students come up to me and told me that he was opening up a shop, a chocolate shop. Wow. And he told me that, you know, most of the chocolate was made by slaves. And I was like, you fucking you asshole. Told me that. And yeah. I was like, you're a business ethics leader. Yeah. And that's what I was taking and that was the most unethical thing I've ever heard. Yeah. I never went back to school. Oh my God. I was so I never, ready for this to be a good story. I never <sighs> dropped out. I'm sure I have like an unofficial withdrawal. It's clear you didn't need it. But it was because okay. of him. And, and, and you know, and, and it, it was just what he reinforced to me is you can have the hundred degrees and act like you're a specialist and still no shit. And so like, you know, I, I realized that some people, a garbage man maybe has more ethics than an ethics teacher. That's like, you know, speaking at seminars. Oh, that makes me feel like a little bit sick. That's terrible. It it made me feel sick, but it also taught me how to treat other people. And it, and it taught me what was really valuable. And it was, it taught me to not, think I'm such a pompous know-it-all that I know everything. And, you know, so it, it taught me a valuable lesson, but I never went back to school because of him. And, and so I was about seven classes left to get a degree. And, and so, you know, and I, I never will because I just, I was, that's what it taught me. Um, it taught me how many names on the buildings are of doctors that went on to get a doctorate in education or, right. you know, they were just continued their masters and just kept going and going from like whatever academic right. ethics or, or physics, but they, it's 
business people. Those are the names on the buildings. Right. It's it's people that like did all this right. other stuff. And it, it taught me that I could have value without like a title. I can have yeah. like all of this. Of but yeah, that was that lesson reinstilled to me that Elaine and and President Romsberg taught like what do I think is important. And yeah. and you know, so I think that's what where I still am, yeah. you know, I spent all my life trying to think what is important to me yeah. and what do I like? And I think I'm continually learning that every yeah. day at the shop and, and just talking with all the people I meet and, and how I treat them or interact with them. It made me so that when I do business, I don't want to cheat people. Like I want to be as upfront and I'm probably too upfront sometimes because it's too honest. Too. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I think that I'd rather be that than the alternative. I totally agree. Like I talk about this with my therapist all the time too. Like I understand that like the endeavor that I'm, that I'm trying to go about in my life, which is to live artfully and to live with these kind of like sometimes a bit radical values, you know? Yeah. Um, I get that it's messy because like the world isn't made for, for us in that way, you know, like that's another way in which the world, the world is designed to be a little cutthroat. The world is designed, you know, in a way that it may behoove you in some ways to be skeptical or to be, um, yeah, kind of wary or kind of like closed off, um, you know, or a little like cunning, um, and I just like, I just refuse, like, I don't want to participate in it. And it doesn't mean, of course, that I never have like lower level thoughts. Like I get jealous of people. I get resentful. I get my feelings hurt. You know, I get in like, but I, tr I really try to like pay attention to those feelings and approach them in another way. But yeah, I mean, it's difficult. It causes like challenges, but I just kind of feel like so be it, you know, like it's too important of an experiment. Like I kind of feel that, you know, doing the right thing is sometimes even harder and, oh, yeah. and you should, and even if nobody else notices, you do it because you know, and, and so like you should be doing it because you know, it's the right thing to do yeah. And in business, you know, with what we do, we do a lot that maybe is stupid business, yeah. but it's what I believe is important or what Kate believes is important to yeah. do as a company. Well, and sometimes you don't know what's like the right or the wrong thing. Like sometimes you have to kind of guess and then like yeah. deal with the fallout. But uh, sorry, I feel like you were about to say something else. Like, no, I just think that sometimes you need to not be afraid of, you kind of have to just say, forget what anybody else thinks and, and trust your own values and trust like where you're coming from. Yeah. And, um, I mean, basketball players, Rudy Gobert had to do that. Well, his statement was, you know, fuck the talk. And, Is and he the guy that like changed the whole like way that they throw like three pointers? No, I mean, he's, well, he's big. He's like huge. And he's, he's like, like a local, there's Seth read Curry, a book about, there's Seth like, Curry that who... started doing all these three pointers, but, any one of these or Michael Jordan or anybody, yeah. it, their whole thing was you can listen to critique and like to yeah. criticism, but don't, don't let that live inside of you. Like, yeah. you know, so, and meaning like, I think that you should hear it, but honestly trust yourself above anyone. And like, that's who you should listen yeah. to or, or you, be that person 10 years down the road. Totally. Do you think of yourself as being in the arts? No. 
but but I th- I mean I but I uh, but I know I am I yeah. mean but yeah do you want to talk more about that like what what the arts means to you or like e- I think I'm just I think I just want to give you space to talk about art if you want to um y- you know I think that everything is probably art but yeah. but I I just don't title it as that yeah. um but at, but I think it all is um well, I mean, to, what the to, actual to, making of the chocolates is art for sure, but I also think. But it's it's it's, it's touching. Okay, so when I when I eat a chocolate, um, it brings back a memory, and there's a memory of like what I associate to that taste or to that flavor. You mm-hmm. know, the mint truffles or whether it's the caramel, and it and it will bring back a memory from childhood. You know. Uh, Usually these are good memories or moments that I like. And I think that's what the chocolate does to me is it brings back memory. Um, I really love live music and local musicians. Yeah. And, and I think that just as a chocolate brings back a memory, so does that sound or a song or, or the smells in a concert, all of that stuff it does the same thing. Absolutely. Like, like it, it brings back those memories. Um, and we tend to look for the ones that we like, those memories that we like. Um, the, the sad memories, I think, yes, we have them, but people, I don't tend people to keep... Don't, people don't go to chocolate for sad memories. They go to music for sad memories. But I'll listen like to Pearl that, like, Jam. Catharsis. I'll listen yeah. to Pearl Jam when I'm sad because that's what I listened to when I was sad and I just didn't want to fill. Yeah. And so like, I would just turn it up as loud as I could. And I would just like, I would, I would, that's, that's what I would listen to. I feel like we use art as like a permission tool, like as a people. I mean, I, I don't mean as artists, I mean, as non-artists maybe, or just as people, we, we use art as like a, a helper or like a, a permission to experience something that we don't permit ourselves to experience in everyday life. So that might be like a childlike joy and wonder that might be a deep sadness and grief that might be like something taboo, you know, like, but I, I feel like we, we use art to explore like, or romance or or like all of that. I think that's why I was curious about like your idea of being a romantic before. Cause it feels like, it feels like such a, it feels like a similar ethos of like, this is something that we're not always permitted to, to be in our day-to-day lives. So can we create a space, you know, or an activity that lets us kind of explore that, like something a little different that's not kind of like, you know, permitted in everyday life. Yeah. And I mean, I grew up religious and, and, you know, so I, I was always just told there's, you know, a greater purpose, there's this. And, and I guess I, I guess I hope that there might be, um, it's something after, or I just would never have known my mom, you know, or, or never have known these other things. And so I think that there's a value in that hope, but there's also the, the universe tries to make you the best you can be regardless of what happens after. And, And I think you can look at, I don't know. I think that if you don't have a hope for something or a purpose, then what's the whole point of life? Like, you know, what, what, gets you out of bed in the mornings and and 
I still struggle with that. Like there's still, you know, I still have many days where it's like, I don't know why I want to get out of bed today. I I don't know what's my purpose. I I don't know all of that. And, And I think that if I let that fester or eat, you know, I, that's not a good place to be in Absolutely. for anybody. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, whether you believe in an afterlife or whether or not, you know, this world's pretty fascinating. And, so you, fascinating. and you know, like just nature is pretty fascinating. The cells that can make up a, a human, the cells that can make up a human, that then maybe one atom changes and it it makes one person black hair, one person dark, one person little, um, you know, all of that's pretty amazing. And I think when you look at all the factors that put you on this place, this rock that's flying through space at, you know, thousands of miles per hour, that's pretty phenomenal. And so like, I think that when you look at all that, all we are is a speck in the universe. Yeah. And, I, and I think you, you take that and you try to make as much impact as you can. Yes. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, it's so beautiful. It's like going to make me cry. Um, I think this is like, we're like, this is so beautiful. I think it's like we can be wrapping up. Um, cause I just, I love this so much. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to speak more if you want to about, like community and like what it means to be like part of a community, what it means to like be invested in like developing your community. Cause it, it just, it feels to me like that's really important to you. And if, and if, if it's not important to you, it's, it's what's happening. Like you, you are an important part of the community. Um, yeah. Community. I, I mean, looking back when I was a kid, it was my community, my neighbors that, that raised me or, you know, that, that took a really shitty experience and um, I never knew it. Like yeah. I never knew this shitty experience. And when I look back on it, it, it's not me thinking, wow, they were trying to make a really shitty experience. It was, I just remember the goodness of them. And yeah. I, I remember those kind of things from a business standpoint. Um, I think we have so much to offer and, and, you know, I think, that whether you're gay, whether you're straight, whether you're Catholic, whether you're Jewish, whether you're um, Mormon, whether you're Muslim, all of that actually is really important for all of us to know and Mm -hmm. and for all of us to feel and to learn. Um, Katie did teach me something because, you know, I dated other people and, and she was the first person that just, didn't it it wasn't like um my being mormon bugged her um but she she, it wasn't for her but she was the first person that just you know just listened and took me as like Mm -hmm. just me be being me and that was really important for me to learn that same lesson of everybody else having to their own views and i think growing up the chocolate shops were all in the mall they weren't that special they weren't that unique and I think that, yeah, we're continuing trying to evolve it. Honestly, we went from a tiny shop in the avenues on 4th Avenue. We then moved up to a big building right next to a park. The very first day we bought that building, we were mapping out how to do outdoor movies in yeah, the summer. And and, and, it, and it was something to go back to the community. And, you know, that 
plays back to that memory of what Kate really, she loved movies. But and I theater. said, yeah, like and, that's, yeah, I remember. And so like for me, you know, it cost us a ton of money to do these outdoor movies, mm -hmm. but I think it's important to create a memory for the kids growing up in that neighborhood. Absolutely. Like, we, you know, we have live music. We have like music that will come into the shop and before COVID was much better than it is at the moment, It'll come back. but it, it will come back. And, um, you know, I think that there's value in that and there's value of like, man, we have this jazz musician that plays every Saturday Who night. Who is it? Um, his name is Garan Sturbuck. And okay, he, I'm friends it, with him on Facebook. And and yeah. he's from Croatia. He actually lived through the civil war in Croatia. Wow. He His family had to flee. Like, oh you know, God. people were getting wiped out just like they are in Ukraine right now. Wow. And he left to Spain. He had nothing. He He worked in a fancy restaurant that he couldn't even afford to eat at. And then he lived in a different part of Spain. But he said when he moved to the U U.S., like nobody would hire him um, because he had a thick Eastern European yeah. accent. And he's, he said it wasn't until we, we hired him to play music that people wouldn't hire him. And so, like, wow. you know, that meant something to me. Um, but what I like about Garan playing jazz is growing up Mormon – you know, the music, live music wasn't really a thing. Like right. you, you would have church live music, yeah. but you wouldn't go to live a chocolate shop. Live music is like a strong word for yeah. A, yeah, church and, But you wouldn't, go to, you wouldn't go to like a chocolate shop to hear jazz. Right. And in big cities, some of them, you're just going to only see that in a bar. And, and I think what's kind of cool is we'll have people totally like, you know, from a, a very fixed, narrow-minded um, upbringing coming into a chocolate shop. And they're blown away that somebody's in there playing jazz music. And it. then they're like, is this normal? And, and but then they'll sit and listen. And then mm -hmm. they may have a kid that loves music. Mm -hmm. And this kid is like, oh, yeah, I really like that. What kind of music's that? And I then they it. start talking about the guitar and they start talking about yeah. dif differences. And they, and it's it's a way for them to associate music that's not even in a bar. Or it's it's just, you know, music's yeah. a part of the world. And, and I think it goes great with chocolate yeah. and it, but it goes great with those memories and selling say, those memories i couldn't agree more sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you i'm just how like, dare I'm you emily I'm, I'm really excited but no i really agree and I, I mean i grew up mormon and then i got a degree in jazz studies i got two degrees in jazz studies and uh, yeah i had a lot of people in my community and my family and kind of my church community saying things to me like well, the spirit doesn't go where jazz is or like that's a bar music. And I just felt so full of wonder about this music and it felt so um, close to some kind of a divinity or like it just felt so magical to me. So that was something I understood kind of innately. But, you know, now I teach at UVU and a lot of my students are LDS and very conservative and they struggle with knowing how to... Um, how to how to combine their passion for music and that that's something that speaks to them and that divine level with their religion. And in the same way that you said, you know, jazz goes great with a chocolate shop, jazz goes great with Mormonism, you yeah. know, like oh, yeah. and it's 100%. just it's it's not even about jazz or chocolate or Mormonism, but just that like 
people go great with people, you know, like passion goes great with passion. Like, well, I don't know. I want to add to that because yeah, we, you know, it's really hard for me to teach some of the high school or college kids that work at our shop that everyone has value and right. everybody's amazing. The best scenario, we had an employee that um, he loves music and he wanted his dream would be a drummer, for, a jazz drummer. And so he that's what he loved. Yeah. Well, Garon came one day and he was playing music with David Holliday. And um, I can't remember if it was Christian or Parker or Swenson, but um, one of these other guys that were playing the drums and um, they were playing and this gentleman came up and it was this black dude and he was just listening and he was, he said that he had just had been visiting Utah. He was from New York, but he was just visiting. Cool. And um, I had no clue who he was. And um, he ended up like just introducing himself as Carl. And um, he had been teaching down at Snow and yeah. he and Apple he, White. Right? Applegate? Apple White. Carl Allen oh, is his name. Who am I thinking and of? Carl Allen. I know who you're talking and about. So I Carl just got the Allen name is um it's went into my shop. Yeah. And it was busy. This kid helped Carl Allen and he kind of blew him oh. off because Carl Allen wasn't dressed up fancy right. and he didn't have a note saying, Hey, guess who I am? And right. I and I actually said, Oh, do you play music? Carl Allen teaches at Juilliard, Juilliard yeah. and he's one of the best top <laughs> jazz drummers in the world. Yeah. And, you know, uh, top 10 and, and, and this kid served him and treated him like shit and treated oh. him like, like this. And I said, do you know who that was? I'm like, that's somebody that you've always wanted to become right. is, is like this jazz musician. Yeah. And I'm like, but in your mind, you already judged who he was. Right. You already judged his value in, in, in how he, he treated you. And, um, you know, you lost out on an opportunity. Yeah. And, and so what was funny is like, I had no clue who George Allen was, or excuse Carl me, Carl Allen. Allen at that time. We're both struggling but, with his name. Today. I know, with Carl <laughs> Allen. But I, I had no clue who he was until afterwards. And I even laughed saying, oh, do you play? And yeah. he started to laugh and he's like, a little. But, yeah. but, you know, but, but I mean, yeah. here's what I'm saying. Like some of the most amazing people will never tell you how amazing they are. Right. Because they just are. And, you know, I love, I love Garan. He's like the most humble person. And I, need to have I love him on the podcast. Like he is just incredible, but I, I love the background of music and I love the feeling of what it gives to people. And, yeah. you know, for a great summer night sitting out on our patio, eating ice cream and chocolates, what other chocolate shop in the world are, are you doing that? And yeah. and so like, that's, what's unique to me is that it. we're a small little chocolate shop in the middle of Salt Lake city and a neighborhood. And we're doing that. It's and, radical. It's awesome. It's, it's awesome. You're right. And that's what motivates me. And so, you know, yes, it's art. Yes, it's all of that. But I think how boring would the world be if like I had the stereotype that that's it. It's not going to get any better. And I try to wake up every day with with no real expectation mm -hmm. and just let whatever comes come. Yeah, that's and, beautiful. And, and just to, to just keep my eyes open. So hoping I, yeah. I observe it. People are your medium. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I love, love it. people. I love people too. And, and, and I, you know, I will continue to have good days and bad days, but as we all. I think as long as you just keep remembering those things, that's what drives me. People absolutely. are, is my medium. Oh, I love and it. And such a lovely world, man. I mean, such a cool place. I agree. Um, is there anything you feel is left unsaid about 
identity, creativity, creative identity, just anything, anything that's left like on your heart to, to say. Oh man. Yeah, You've you, said so I mean, many hit me things. Up whatever you want. Uh, uh, Steve at com. Oh, that's but, my last question, but, but I'll, I'll, uh, sorry, go ahead. But you know, I, I think no, just shut up and listen is probably the biggest lesson. Yeah. Listen to people telling you who they are, what they see. Is that what you mean? Yeah. 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 Um, okay. I always ask everybody, like, these are my, this is my little closer question. I know um, you gave me this list of like all these things <laughs> that I should, you know, know for questions. And I think I told you, I'm not even going to read the list because like, I just like, I wanted to, this is a conversation. That's so, how I feel too. So I kind of was like, yeah. I don't know. You didn't, I want genuine responses. Good. Yeah. No, I feel the same way. Some of my guests are really shy. I mean, a lot of artists are really shy and they, they like having a prompts list. It, like it just no, makes them feel more good. confident, but yeah, it's, I, that's why I always say like, here's a prompts list for like totally optional it, perusal. Like you don't have to open it. Um, but I always ask everybody, um, the final question of the, of the day, um, what's your dream collaboration or, or like a, 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 a vision that involves others? Man, I'm living it. I, yeah. I think I'm already living my dream. Um, I am like, I am living my dream right now. And, and I think you, you, money's all over the board and it would be nice to never worry about money, but I am living my dream. Like, you know, I am bringing something important to a community Absolutely. and I'm, I'm, I think that's valuable. And I think that, yeah, my dream's going to continue to evolve. I, I don't think I will ever reach the total hundred percent success because yeah. I want to keep striving for that. And, and I think once I get to that point, I probably should change careers. If I think that, it, if Relatable. I think that I'm ever there, I should just do something else. But is there anybody that you would love to work with? Like just anyone who you, any, I think that the question is really like, who do you, who do you admire? No, there's hundreds of people. I mean, there's just so many people. Yeah. I honestly, I am so amazed at all the different people that come into our shop and there's, yeah. there's, uh, there's everybody and anybody that come in. Actually, there was a funny story. Like, Please tell I, me. I just remember one really busy Christmas time. It was, we were really busy and one of my employees came up to me and said, Oh, you might want to go talk to that guy. And I was like, what? It was Donnie Osmond. Oh, but well, like, yeah. you know, I had no clue who the hell like was right. even in my shop. And I wouldn't have even have said it. But my employee saw his, his signature on a credit Whoa. card. So like, I, so in my mind, I'm just like, man, you never know who you're going to run across right. or who you're going to collaborate with. And I think just always know that you don't know everything and always be open to mm -hmm. whoever you meet. And Joe Blow that looks like shit might be Carl Allen, one of the world's greatest drummers. I yeah. mean, you just never know who you're going to talk to or meet. I love this idea. Like if people are your medium and conversation is your medium, then anyone you meet is a collaborator. Yeah. hundred <laughs> cool. percent. Yeah. Like, and I do, I do honestly mean that. And yeah. I do think that we all continue to evolve. Yeah, I agree. That's amazing. Okay. Finally, tell everybody where to find you. You already kind of yeah, said I mean, it, but yeah, say well, it here. Hatch, Hatch Family Chocolates, um, HatchFamilyChocolates.com. I'm also, I told you I'm doing a stupid talk show 
called Short and Sweet. Yeah. And I mean, you can find that on Hatch Family Chocolates page as well. Amazing. That's a perfect title. I love it so much. Because I'm totally not sweet. I'm totally sassy (laughs) and I'm very long winded. So like, yes, I'm short in stature, but I'm definitely sassy and more tart. So short and tart is what it should be. The chocolates are sweet, though. I get it. Yeah. Um, Oh, what was I going to say? Oh, do you ship chocolates? We do. Okay. I so mean, even people who aren't here can yeah. can get some. Okay. Great. Yeah. I mean, just come visit. But I mean, I think my my advice to them is just be them. Yeah. Like the world needs more of you. Like not like. Amen. The I think that's more the of you. thing. Well, Stephen, thank you so much. This is so beautiful. I know I told you this before, but I've just had you on my list for such a long time and was just kind of waiting for like the right season to kind of, you know, like just waiting for the perfect moment and it's now and I'm just so glad to meet you and I'm so glad you're here. Well, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Woot, woot. Oh, go ahead. No, just woot, woot. Oh, yeah, yeah, great. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.